Hey, welcome to the Behind the Screen Podcast. Andy Benoit, my friend Greg Cosell from NFL Films. Go ahead and hit that subscribe button. Greg, easy approach this week. Big time games in every window on Sunday. So we thought we'll just go through the window, talk football that way, starting with that Dolphins and uh, Chiefs game across the pond. Yeah, that's a really fascinating game. You know, I, I, I've i studied, as I you probably have as well, the the Dolphins offense in, in a lot of detail. And obviously there's a, a strong tactical nature to what Mike McDaniel does. There's a lot of motion. Um, he plays a high percentage out of 21 personnel. So it's not so much the use and deployment of personnel, but it's the formations, it's the motion. Um, and it's very timing and rhythmic based. And I, I don't know, maybe I'm wrong, but I kind of feel the more I watch it, that the speed is such a critical element that you couldn't, even with all those elements and dimensions to the to the offense, you know, the, the, the motions, the formations, that without that kind of speed, it just wouldn't look the same. What is your thought yeah. about that? Oh, I think absolutely. The speed is almost a starting point. I bet Mike McDaniel would would tell you that too. Yeah, I mean, they, I, that's what I, I, I'm so glad to hear you say that because I, was, I, I didn't mean to interrupt, but I, we, I was talking with my matchup group this week when I was watching the Dolphins offense, you know, and, and like I said, I've watched them every week. I think I watched every game last year and I, I kind of came to the conclusion. I, I kind of felt badly that I came to this conclusion, you know, uh, because, you know, you start like, you know, two is obviously having a really nice year numbers wise. And he's, he's a good quarterback. He's a certain kind of quarterback, which we could discuss further if you like, but I, I almost came away believing that speed is the starting point for everything they do. And they attack the edges with their ground game. And then yep. they attack vertically with their pass game and they marry the two with their motions and make you have to defend the edges as they set up their passes. And the speed's the key to it. I haven't seen the new England film yet. I'm going to watch it later this week. The, the, Dolphins Patriots film but you know everybody I probably watched that Eagles Dolphins film I saved it for the very end Friday night last week last thing I wanted to do super late it was like the most fun I had all week right. Philadelphia's response to that and all the too deep looks that they gave him I would imagine we would see something similar Spagnolo has covered remember he actually doesn't do it as much anymore but remember a few years ago he would disguise cover two with all these different rotations. Tyron Matthew would usually wind up playing middle linebacker when the rotation settled. You know, I wonder if we might see some of that from Kansas City in this game again because Spags, you know, he knows that speed's a starting point as well. And they play out of two deep looks or split safety looks more than any defense already. So I think they're equipped to kind of do what was Buffalo and, and Philadelphia has shown as almost – I know you don't like blueprint. I don't either. But the blueprint. No, but there's still will. ways. There's still ways to play against certain offenses. Um, you know that that are similar. It's not that they're going to do the exact same thing that Philly did or the exact same thing that New England did. But in their own way, conceptually, they do similar things. It's funny you mentioned what he used to do, because I, I I did have this conversation with Spags, and he spoke about how Tyran Matthew allowed him to do a lot of different things because of his savvy awareness, his instincts in the middle of the field. Now, I don't know. This conversation occurred before this season. So I don't know if he feels as we've now played eight weeks, if he has a player that he feels really comfortable who can kind of fill that role and be kind of that, you know, that, that maestro, yeah. you know, the, in, in the middle of the field, I guess we're going to find out. Um, 
But, uh, you know, there's different ways to take away those first window throws. Um, the Eagles did it one way. We've seen the Patriots do it other ways. Um, so he'll have a way. It's just, you know, we don't know exactly what that is. But that's that's what you sort of have to do. Yeah, and the other thing that stands out with their defense, their corners play the run. And and they play the run aggressively, especially yes. with Jerry Sneed. Those guys tackle. I know if in Miami they don't do a ton of condensed formationing because they want to widen you, but – you get a condensed formation, and then those Chiefs, they're going to blitz you on some of those. They're going to attack yep. those edges. I mean, the more I think out loud through this game, I don't. I would never sit and say any defense has Miami's number or anything like that. That's There are certain offenses that are too good for that, certain defenses that are above that. But the Chiefs, I think, match up stylistically well with the things that have given Miami the closest thing we've seen to trouble. Anyway, hey, other side, I'm curious what you think of the Dolphins' defense this season. We don't talk that side of the ball very much for Miami. Well, I made it a point to watch him this week because I wanted to see Jalen Ramsey play in his first game and, you know, see if it would change anything they did. Uh, he played almost every snap. He played right corner. Howard was out this week. So um, when they played base, Kohu was the left corner. When they played nickel, Kohu went inside and Eli Apple was the left corner. They basically played zone-type coverage on, on the maj large majority of snaps. There was I, I was watching this carefully. There was not one snap, and you know Jalen Ramsey well, there was not one snap in which Jalen Ramsey played press coverage. It was zone. Now, the thing that really stood out to me, and I've noticed this before, and jump in, please, since you know him, is Jalen Ramsey, to me, is a phenomenal zone coverage defender. I think he has such a great feel for route concepts, for splits, for how that impacts route concepts, for when to pass someone on and then react to another route, you know, and that's probably not talked about a lot because people think back to his one-on-one -on -one matchups, you know, when he was in Jacksonville with DeAndre Hopkins when Hopkins was in Houston, you know, and I'm sure Ramsey just mentality-wise wants to be a press man corner because, you know, he's that confident an athlete, but I think yeah. he's a phenomenal zone defender. Yeah, and he's one of those guys who's a better football player than corner, and he's an elite corner. He's he's truly unique like that, um, and, and everything you said is exactly right, exactly consistent with how he was with the Rams. I know there were times late last season he said he kind of went and spoke up a little, and he's comfortable speaking up, as you know. He's a leader, right. and he uh, he said, let me play more press coverage, and the coaches were flexible, said, go ahead and do that. And I think he intercepted a slant to DK Metcalf on the first snap after that. I remember that play. I remember that play. the hell out of him. It's like, oh, why wasn't he playing press all season? Yeah. Part of you wondered that. So, I mean, he can do it all. He can he yeah. can do everything. Pretty remarkable. He's on the field play. I didn't realize he played every snap or almost I, he played, I, I think he missed maybe four snaps and they were late in the game yeah. and it was a two-score game. You know, yeah. Yeah. But, so, that's. I mean, he got back quickly and smoothly from that knee injury then, it, it sounds like. So, you know, with the Dolphins, I mean, is he – do you think they have a good enough pass rush to be the kind of defense that can – because if they're, they're going to go into the playoffs, they're not going to go and score 40 points every game in the playoffs, we have to no. assume. Their defense no. has to play, and I think it's a—I think it's an above-average defense for sure. The pass rush would be the one thing you wonder about a little bit if they can be consistent enough there. I mean, I think they have two good edge players in Chubb and Phillips um, – and I think Wilkins is 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 good inside. Uh, they don't do a lot in terms of moving people around up front, like a team like the Cowboys, for instance, who we'll get to. Um, but you know, so they essentially line up 
Phillips at you know at, at left end and Chubb at right end. Occasionally yeah. Phillips will go inside. Occasionally Chubb will be used as kind of a stand-up joker, but it's not really foundational to what they do. So they're really relying on those guys to rush the quarterback off the edge. Um, yeah, they're not a high high percentage blitz team. You know, it's more selective. Um, but you know, I think that, I know that Holland will be back this week. He's a really good safety. He did not play last week against the Patriots. Um, but you know, for the most part, I think what we see when you watch their tape is you see kind of a Vic Fangio defense, Andy. You see a lot of you know quarter structure looks, and then they work off that. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a little surprised they haven't played, and I understand Phillips why they play him outside because he's their best edge rusher. I thought a couple of years ago when he was playing nickel defensive tackle on most of those yeah. passing down snaps, I thought that was the best use to him. And I'm a little, and I'm not sitting, you know, these guys at Dolphins know him better than I do. So I'm saying what I feel about it, what surprises me, because Andrew Van Ginkle to me, and he plays on and off the ball, I realize, but he's had a very productive season for them. At times, I've thought he's been not their best edge rusher, but certainly their most active edge rusher in certain games. So I don't, I don't know. It's not a highly, it's a highly schemed pass rush, but not a blitzing pass rush. That's what's interesting too. They'll do those simulated pressures, drop a guy, bring a guy. They've had some success with it. I just wonder overall, like if. I wonder if it'll be a good enough pass rush moving forward for them to, well, maybe find out in this game. I mean, they're playing the Kansas well, City Chiefs. That's a guy that will be easy. What'll be interesting in this game, the Chiefs, they're a high percentage multi, multiple tight end personnel offense. Um, you know, this past week against the Broncos, they played 39% of their offensive snaps out of 12 personnel, meaning two tight ends. You know, Many people might not know that how, how much they play out of multiple tight end personnel. Um, it'll obviously if they do that, then what will Vic Fangio do in response? Will he play base or will he feel that hey, I'm good enough to stop the run with with my players and I'm going to you know play more nickel because I'm more concerned about the potential pass element and the Kelsey factor. Um, and now with the Kelsey factor, you also wonder if you do something specific to that you know you know it's a great speculation point we don't know the answer to that at all I mean does he just play the way he normally plays and he figures that hey that handles Kelsey or do you do something different like put a Ramsey on him at times I know the Rams did that you know last year I think it was last year when they played the uh yeah week 12 yeah week 12 there were snaps in which Ramsey was man-to-man on Kelsey in fact I believe Kelsey caught a touchdown on him but um but you know that doesn't take away from the fact that Ramsey's a great player. So yeah, you know, these this is kind of the chess match that you just don't know until the game is played. But there's all kinds of potential variables here. Yeah, and with and we don't know how they're going to be using Ramsey yet. We've only seen one game. I one know game, in that right. game with Los Angeles, he was in in past situations in dime especially he would play boundary corner. And Greg, as you know, Kansas City does so many one by three formations that Kelsey yes. lined up in the boundary anyway. Yes. So it was a game is it was easier, I think, to just match Ramsey to Kelsey in that one because it was it it wasn't deviating a whole lot from how they probably would have played if they just were lining up the way they normally line up in Los Angeles. Right. You know, Ramsey, you said he played right corner all game he played long. Right corner, yes. He he didn't play boundary or field. He obviously played both, but he because he was on one side. But he played right yeah. corner, yeah. and uh, the and whether it was Kohu or Apple, they played left corner. 
Yeah, I'm surprised because I would have thought he'd be at left corner, if anything. But that, you know what, that probably tells you when Howard comes back. Howard's typically a left corner, although he's moved around too. But um, it'll be, I don't know, it'll be interesting to see how they do. Do you consider, and by the way, I'm looking up, Miami this year has played five defensive backs against 12 personnel 62% of the time which is 10th most in the league. The average team does it about 48%. Well, I would not be surprised then if you see that, Andy. You know, yeah. uh, you know I think that you're clearly more concerned about uh, Patrick Mahomes and what he can do in the pass game. And, and, and I think that Pacheco's had a nice year, and they use him very selectively and very effectively, but I still think you're more concerned about the pass game in Mahomes. Yeah, and both of these teams. I think if you went to each coach before this game and said, you're going to give up 150 yards rushing, I don't know if each coach would worry. I mean, they'd, they'd say, tell me more, because it's the past game right. is what you're starting with when you're trying to stop Miami right. I would or Kansas that. City. Yeah, Greg, I, I have a feeling I'm not in the mood to do predictions for these games. I'm guessing you aren't either. No, if no, I no I'm not a predictor. Right now. Yeah. So uh, let's go to Seattle and Baltimore then. How do you think Geno Smith has played recently? Um, You know – I don't think overall he's been quite as sharp as last year, but I think he's settled into being a relatively professional quarterback. You know, like, and and what interests me most about their offense is they drafted Jackson Smith and Jigba from Ohio State with the 20th pick in the draft. Last year, they were a very high percentage multiple tight end personnel offense, and Geno Smith was outstanding. His numbers were off the charts out of multiple tight end sets. That was the foundation of their play-action boot pass game, which he was really good at, multiple tight ends. It, 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 it helped their protection because they had two rookie tackles. So everything about playing with multiple tight ends really impacted their passing gaming in meaningful ways. Then they draft Smith Najigba, who gets hurt in training camp, and now they're trying to work him back in. And what most fascinates me, Andy, about their offense is what's going to be the balance between the multiple tight end sets where Geno is clearly comfortable and they can do a lot of things, um, or the the use of 11 personnel so they can get Smith Najigba on the field because he's a very, very good receiver. Um, I think they're still trying to work that out. Yeah, I'm looking at these numbers. Last season, 43% uh, of their normal down and distance. So first down or second down and running distance, nine or less, seven, eight or less. Right. Uh, they were in that 12 personnel that you're talking about 42% of the time. They played a lot of 13 as well. And they well. played a lot of 13 as well. Yeah, so they're down this season to uh, uh, 30% on 12 personnel on these downs and distance, which ranks about 10th or 12th or so. So yeah, they're definitely relatively high, but it's the Smith Najigba factor because they want to get him on the field. Of course, yes, of of course, and it's an interesting one, I guess. You know, I mean, and I don't mean to put us back to Kelsey. I mean, I wonder a little bit though, like some of these twelve personnel, because I'll watch this film and I'll always track how the defense is playing against twelve, what the what packages they put on the field, and almost every game, Greg. It feels like defenses view 12 personnel very specific to the type of – there's different forms of it. Who are your tight ends? Are they blocking right. tight ends? If one of them's Kelsey, most defenses are going to see that as 11 personnel because he detaches from the formation anyway on most of the snaps. So it's almost – I mean, it's a little bit like 12 personnel. you got to look at who we're talking about, I feel like, sometimes. I Which agree. tight end? And I think, you know, sometimes I feel like there's certain coaches that, you know, just play in a box. In other words, hey, it's 12 personnel, we're going base. 11 personnel, we're going nickel. You know, but I think 
with the way that the game has evolved offensively with the, the tight ends coming into the league and the ones that are in the league and how they're detached from the formation. And, you know, very often teams in 12 even go in empty sets. You see that more and more in the league. You know, yeah. you have to you have to respond to those kinds of things. You don't want to get stuck. And so I think, you know, playing, you know, playing out of uh, out of uh, nickel, you're seeing more of now old school coaches might say, oh, well, then you're going to get run on. Well, maybe at times. But as you said, I think that a lot of coaches and maybe it's the younger coaches, maybe it's the more expansive coaches, but they think, okay, you know, if you're playing against a great quarterback, you know, a Mahomes, Josh Allen, you know, those kinds of quarterbacks, you're probably okay if they hand the ball off. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, you are because the, the thinking of that goes. I remember actually you, when when I was first learning coverages years and years ago, Greg, you we were in your office and we were talking about kind of the Dick LeBeau philosophy a little yeah. bit. And it's, it's a different era, so we're not comparing the styles or anything necessarily. But the idea was LeBeau's mindset was if you're going to score on us, we're going to make you have to go 12, 13, 14 plays to do it. And it's somewhere in there, there's going to be a mistake working against you that's going to put you off schedule. And that's when we play our Steeler defense, if you will. And I right. think that's kind of the mindset around the league is if, if they're going to score, if they're going to get yards, really score, make them have to do it over a lot of plays. Because every time you snap the ball, that's an opportunity for a mistake on offense. And even if you're a really good offense and you don't make a quote-unquote mistake, there's still going to be plays where you only gain one or two yards. You know, so – you know, now all of a sudden you're in a longer down or distance. But, you know, you just hit on something and we're going to have this conversation, you know, in a week or two as maybe we see a little more. But explosives are way down in the league in the past game. And, you know, we'll discuss the reasons for that. Not now, because that's probably a whole conversation. But, you know, and so you wonder because of what defenses are doing, uh, just to give a very brief comment about it there's far more split safety there's actually far more cover zero in the league this year you know so there's obviously reasons why there's less explosives but it makes you wonder if teams will think more that the run game needs to be a bigger factor because if you're not going to get explosives in the pass game the way you'd like then you know what's the answer and I don't necessarily know the answer but I mean it just leads to more questions yeah. One thing you had me curious about personnel, how I think, you know, maybe Baltimore will play it when Seattle is in 12. So I looked it up. Baltimore's eighth in, in base personnel usage, 75% of snaps against 12 personnel they play uh, normal down and distance. But you know what? I've, I've noticed a lot of these teams that have big dynamic linebackers, like Jacksonville plays a ton of 12, even, or excuse me, a ton of base against 12, yes. even when they're facing Kansas City. Well, they drafted Devin Lloyd, and they've got, you know, Alua Kun, and they've got pricey athletic linebackers. Tampa Bay is another one that plays with a lot of fast backers. Yeah. Roquan Smith, Patrick Queen, speedy linebackers, Dre Greenlaw, Fred Warner, San Francisco. They're another team that ranks ahead of Baltimore for base personnel usage. It's almost like for some of these teams, it's, it's how fast are your linebackers is kind of the, the barometer, it seems like for who you put on the field against Could 12. Be. I mean, yeah, you, you don't see a team like the Ravens, obviously playing the Seahawks this week, play a lot at a dime because they like to keep Queen and Smith on the field. You know, so they yeah. probably feel that th- their 11 best on defense include Queen and Smith. So they want them on yeah. the field. Um, yeah, they, they basically stopped playing dime once they traded for Roquan Smith. Yeah, they, they, yeah. Yeah. 
<clears throat> so, I mean, that's the other factor involved is who's your, you know, you don't want to get caught in a box of just saying, well, it's third and eight, so I'm playing dime. You know, that's easy to say. But if, if, if putting out dime is not your 11 best defenders, you don't want to get caught, you know, just in that sort of, you know, that little box. You want to put out your 11 best guys. On the other side of the ball in this one, so we touched on Geno, and I'm with you. I think Geno Smith was excellent last year. He's been professional this year. I don't think he's been as consistent, though, and maybe right. that'll change. But he's a professional quarterback now. Yes. Yeah. Lamar Jackson in the new offense, I, and it's still early. That's going better than I thought it was going to go overall. And one thing yeah. I didn't count on, I don't know why I didn't count on it, because they, they, they changed coordinators, but they kept most of the rest of the coaching staff in place they're running more of the Greg Roman run game stuff than I would have guessed after the coordinator. He basically kept the best of the old offense, which is all the gap scheme, multi-optional run game stuff. And then they started doing it out of wider formations and kind of opening up the passing game a little bit. And again, it's still early, but it's, it's going better than I thought it would go. How about you? I agree, but it's funny what, what you said, because they're still playing Picard number 42, who's basically, I don't know what he is, but you know what position to call him, but he still yeah. plays meaningful snaps. Well, I'll, I'll, Greg, so I'm glad you brought up Patrick Ricard because they list him in Baltimore, does it? They do it with Isaiah Likely as well. And they mess up guys right. like me that click around on the personnel packages <laughs> right. and tell you the stats. They, they can call him whatever they want. Patrick Ricard lines up at tight end almost every play in the offense now. Some yeah. He's a wing tight end. And Isaiah likely winds up as a big slot receiver or a big receiver most of the time. Right. So the whole idea of, you know, what they are and call them that, I feel I'm, you know, I used to be an all-pro voter before I started working for teams. They don't like you to vote when you're working for some of the teams. They think it might bias you if you can believe it. Right, that. right, right. Yeah, but uh, um, when I would vote, there'd be certain guys that were listed at certain positions. I remember Kyle Van Noy, for example, it was like he's a linebacker because New England said he was. Kyle Van Noy played on the edge almost every snap. The guy that was really bad was Chandler Jones one year in Arizona was a linebacker because that's how they list them. How the teams list the guys is irrelevant. Where the guys play is the position they play. Chandler Jones played edge almost every snap in Arizona. Van Noy did near the end in New England. Patrick Ricard not to go on a ramp, but he's a tight end in the offense. Yeah, and, and you know, it's true with defense as well. I mean, you talk about the Seahawks defense, for instance. They basically, their base would be a 4-2 big nickel. You know, Brooks and Wagner are the linebackers. Um, Adams is is kind of the nickel DB, if you want to call him that. Uh, you know, but they play then Love and Diggs as the safeties. So they're playing with three safeties. That's essentially their base defense. It's yeah. big nickel with Adams. Now, obviously, they get into longer yardage situations and it changes. Um, you know, they, they would... Um, uh, they bring in Trey Brown as the left corner because Woolen always plays right corner. Um, and then Adams would not be in the slot. They'd move the rookie Witherspoon, who I think is a really good player, by the way. But they'd move Phenomenal player. They'd, they'd move Witherspoon into the slot. So, you, you know, you're seeing a lot of teams play sort of 4-2 big nickel as their base defense. If someone had told me before this season Seattle becomes a 4-2 big nickel defense, I would have said, of course they do. They went out and got Julian Love. They already had Diggs. They already had Adams. We, of course they do. But you told me Adams would be the slot, not Julian Love. Or even right, Diggs. Right. I wouldn't think they'd move Diggs. Diggs used to play slot years ago, but he's too good in the post. I would not have believed that Adams would have been the slot out of those guys. So I would have thought it would be Julian Love. Well, 
the the problem there is is I don't think you're comfortable with Adams playing on the back end. You know, you think he's long, in, yeah, I see what you're saying. On the back you end. think he's in coverage more? So it raises a question then because we're talking first and second down defense still. So which where, means where the they're not going to play a ton of man coverage on first and second down. They're going no, to play some not. some variety of zone so Adams can be your quote unquote slot. You know, or an overhang or a box, depending on in the box, depending on what the offensive formation is. Um, so you're comfortable with him on first and second down, normal down in distance situations being, you know, a slot, even though that's, you know, just a term, you know. So, yeah, but let's talk through this real quick then, because first of all, I, I think we see Adams the same way. I'll describe him. Tell me if you see it the same way. Right. Uh, dynamic hitter, a guy who is phenomenal when he's going towards the action and a borderline liability when he's retreating or reacting to the action. Correct. Okay. A guy like that, is it best to put him in the slot or at strong safety then? I've always just kind of assumed strong safety. Although you can almost argue, depending on the offensive formation, where he lines up, he is a strong safety at times because the offensive formation might dictate that he's playing – kind of an overhang or box position, which, you know, strong safeties do play. So it's all a function of what the, you know, the offense presents, but he's definitely better closer to the line of scrimmage. Um, he, you hit it right on the head. He's, he's a liability as a back end player. That's not his game. Although they do play him on the back end. They, you know, th- there are times he plays on the back end in their true nickel. Uh, where they move Witherspoon in the slot, th- they will take Love out and and leave Adams and Diggs as the two safeties. Yeah, well, and we have to remember, you know, Clinton Hurt, their defensive coordinator, and he he doesn't do the Fangio stuff quite as much as some of those no. other guys that are running the scheme. But that's still those are his roots. That's where he comes from. Right. And that's kind of at its core, a split safety kind of defense. And and so when you're thinking strong safety, he might not be thinking box safety is strong safety the way other guys would. He might be thinking half field safety more often in his, you know, in terms of where you're starting a guy out. So, I mean, I, I get I understand why. I mean, it's a good conversation. I'm surprised. Yeah. I never would have thought Adams would be any kind of slot at all. But, you know, big nickels of really different position than regular nickels. Yeah, anymore. and a lot of teams are doing that right now in, in those normal down and distance situations. So, you know, that's kind of the way they're they're doing it. Now, they obviously just traded for Leonard Williams, who my guess is Pete Carroll sees as a classic three technique in his defense. Interesting. Yeah, I could see that. And then Jaron Reed is the nose shade. Yes. Maybe move him around a little. Yeah, I mean, that, that makes sense. I wonder if – I mean, I wonder if they'll be – sometimes they're a little more flexible with their front personnel than I would expect inside in Seattle. And I wonder if that factored into want, them wanting Leonard Williams That could well. because Williams has played, you know, pretty much every yeah. position along the defensive front. But it wouldn't surprise me if, you know, in, in their sort of base front, whatever that means for them – that they see him as the three technique. Yeah. Uh, Leonard Williams, by the way, is the first player I ever watched film with. He was coming out. Really? Yeah. Is that when he yep. was in college? It was. It was at his pro day, I remember. At right? USC, right yeah. Yeah. But um, so which which of the trades, I mean, that was one just to touch on those. You brought up Leonard Williams real quick. I think the other two kind of big trades were defensive linemen as well. Montez Sweat to Chicago and uh, for a second-round pick, and then Chase Young, of course, to San Francisco, third-round pick. Any of those stand out to you or move the needle more than the others? I thought – I mean, the Chase 
the sweat trade didn't surprise me, but the young trade did. Did the compensation uh, surprise you for a guy in a contract year? You mean compensation being high? That they gave up a second round pick, which will probably be a high second rounder for a guy they're going to have to also now pay big money to here next year. Are we talking about sweat or young? Talking about sweat. Sorry. Oh, about oh. Sweat. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. No, that surprised me. Young, young, young the third, yeah, third round pick. That's a different deal. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I and by the way, I don't work for a team. You did, but so I don't have this same view of draft picks probably that teams do. And I'm sure if I was in the building working for a team, I'd probably you know they they maybe they changed my opinion. But to me, trading a third round pick for Chase Young is a no brainer because Chase Young is a high level talent. Now he's been injured a lot, but he's got high level traits. You're not going to get Chase Young in the in the third round. You know, you get Chase Young in the top five pick in the draft. So I have no problem giving up a third-round pick for Chase Young. Um, and yeah. I know they have a, a D-line coach in Chris Kosurek, who's one of the best in the NFL, and now I'm really curious to see how that plays out. You know, they don't want to be a high-percentage blitz team. Um, oh, no. So, you know, it's every once in a while on third down when they line up in the loaded front, the Niners, um, and they put, you know, um, Warner on the – on the ball, mugged up on the ball, opposite that loaded front. Will they do some some cool blitz concepts? But overall, they're not really. They don't. I don't think they want to be a high percentage blitz defense. Yeah, no. And and where I come down, I'm all for the trade, but I'm biased because that team you referenced, I played for. They traded a second and a third round pick for Von Miller, and that people said that was too much compensation. I don't think they win the Super Bowl without that trade happening. So I agree with that. Yeah, it's that's a it is a big time move. Do you think Chase Young though is a bender, like a true bender? Um, true bender, no. But can he bend enough? Yes. Yeah. Like I think he can flatten his rush path to the quarterback. But I wouldn't say he's a you know he's he's not Gumby. You know he's not that kind of bender. Uh, yeah. But but what would you, you know, say? What would Ohio you say is the defining element of his game? Like you said, I was going to just well, say that all those Ohio State D linemen, because they're coached. I'm sure Larry Johnson is their D line coach, and I'm sure he has a certain way of teaching. You know, obviously, I've never been there. All those guys are really, really good at initiating contact and playing off contact. You know, so so their game would be more built. I guess you'd call that speed to power or speed to a move, but you know, that's the way those guys kind of, even Bosa, you know, Bosa's Nick Bosa, that is his game isn't, he, he, I think he can bend, but his game isn't built. I, I don't think on pure bend. I think his game is built on being able to initiate contact and then play off that contact. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, that's perfectly said. They've got a, an embarrassment of riches there now too. And they got Randy Gregory to come in on some of these third downs <clears throat> as well. And they got Hargrave and they got, um, uh, Armstead and the guy who's given yeah. them a lot of good snaps this year, not a true pass rusher. And of course, because he was the fourth pick in the draft, you yeah. know, that didn't work out in, in, with the Raiders, but uh, Cleveland Farrell, I think has played really well in the role in which he's being asked to play. Yeah. And I thought Drake Jackson was playing well before he started losing snaps to some of these guys too. I mean, well, it's like these guys are eight, eight guys in the rotation. Here. I guess they don't think so, or they wouldn't have gotten Gregory and they wouldn't have gotten young. You think so? I mean, I I don't know. I don't know. Maybe maybe they're they're yeah, I playing. has decreased yeah, because you know of the of the moves they've made. I don't know the answer to that. 
Yeah, I mean, when I say Drake Jackson, Drake Jackson's playing well. I mean, he's playing good. I'm not saying he's Chase Young or any right. of that kind of. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, another team with a good pass rush transition easily. Take your pick, Philly or Dallas, either one. Are, are well, there's I love the two. Dallas. I love Philly, Dallas, Dallas and Fran. Are, what, let's rank those pass rushes real quick since we're already transitioning. Because those are probably the three best in the NFC. For yeah, sure. but Dallas plays differently. Dallas is incredibly multiple with their use of personnel up front. You know, they line up three or four different players all over the defensive front. They look for isolation matchups. Micah Parsons. Uh, Lawrence, um, Armstrong, these guys line up everywhere and, you know, and, and they, they line up with a lot of diamond fronts, five across. They, they try to isolate Parsons even inside on guards and centers. Um, you know, so they do a lot more with their use of personnel than, um, you know, Philly does move people around as well, but uh, yeah, it's, Dallas, not the, it's not the same though. Yeah, you're right. It's not the it's same almost- as Dallas. It's, it's like if you want to compare apples to apples, if you will, it would be Philly and San Francisco in one discussion and then Dallas and I don't know, take your pick right. for <clears throat> right team would be. But um, no, I'm, I'm with you on that. I was surprised how much Parsons played inside yes. Dallas' last game. Yes. He almost played predominantly inside, even off the ball at times. I don't I know agree. if that's the Van Der Esch absence. I don't know if that had anything to do with it or it not, might. but. It might, what but I mean, you see how many times they line him up as kind of a stand-up zero technique, and they they have the two, you know, th- three technique or four eyes attack the outside shoulder of the guards. So basically, they're isolating Parsons on the center because it's a five-man front, and yeah, you know that that's a tough matchup for any center. He had a sack this week against Stafford doing that. Well, and I imagine we'll see him inside a lot because it's it's Sua Opeta right guard for Philadelphia. It hasn't yep. been bad, but he's he's the backup filling in right now. Well, Jurgens out. Jurgens is he's back this week. We don't know if he's going to be back. Okay, he, he's finished the four weeks on IR. Um, you and I are talking on a Wednesday evening. Uh, I don't know whether he's going to play, but there's a chance he does. But you know what? I still think they would do it. The guy hasn't played That's in four weeks. Go- yeah, he's That's only three hundred. You know, he's not a big big man. Um, it would not surprise me at all if that's the matchup they look to exploit. You know, so a, a defensive line coach told me, and I truly I don't remember who it was. I've heard it from multiple guys, though, that, that they said the way they scheme their pass rush and uh, prepare for an opponent, it's very simple. They say who is their best blocker and who is their worst blocker. I don't care who the guys are or how good they are. I just need to know who's the best and who's the worst, and we build the fronts from there. And with Philadelphia, you hate to say anybody's the worst because it's such a good line altogether, but right guard would be the answer to that. That's the, that's the right. guy you'd be going at. So that's I would imagine we're going to see Micah Parsons playing inside at that over that position a good amount in this game. And you know who's surprisingly struggled this season, Andy, with speed to power pass rush is Jordan Maialata, the left tackle. For a man that big, which means it's likely a technique thing, I don't fancy myself an expert on O-line technique, so I'm not going to try to explain why. Uh, <clears throat> but for some reason this year, he has had a hard time with speed to power. Did you Have you seen the Washington film yet from their last game? Yes, yes. Did you feel that way in that one? Not as much. Yeah, because there were... There were snaps where he took on Chase, and I'm not disagreeing with you at all. It's just I, I watched that film late last night. It's fresh of mind. I remember writing in my notes that he handled some of those Chase Young he did. power rushes. I think it was Chase Young, but he handled some of those exceptionally well. But I know I what you're talking he did in this about. Game. Yeah. 
Yeah, but the rest of the season, yeah, he has been up and down. Yeah, with, with <clears throat> but you're right about that. I thought he played much, much better this week. I'm sure they've been working on it, uh, you know, because a lot of that, when you're that big, I'm sure it's mostly technique work, hand play, you know, all those things that that O-line coaches talk about, you know, that, you know, you and I have been fortunate to be around watching guys coach it, but I certainly don't feel like I'm an expert on it. Not at all. Not at all. And it's almost like there's two ways of watching football and it's hard to do both. And if you do both, you're an NFL coach. It's it's watching the scheme and then watching the player's technique and seeing all of it point. at once. And it's like this time of year, you almost have to pick and choose. Off season, you kind of, I know you'll watch technique because you study the draft. I'll watch scheme real closely in the offseason because that's what I study. But this year, it's during the season, you almost have to pick and choose what you focus on when you watch the film you know, sometimes. I'm glad Otherwise, it'll take five hours. Again. I have found that I've morphed and evolved over time into a scheme and tactics guy when I watch tape. You know, I get calls every year from writers who say, you know, hey, I know you watch a ton of tape. I'm picking my all-pro team. You know, who are your best guards? And I'm like, hey, guys, I'd love to help you, but I'm really not charting offensive guards when I watch the tape. You know, that's not the way I'm watching the tape. You know, now are yeah. there certain guys every once in a while, just like I'm sure you feel the same way, that you say, hey, yeah, I'm going to watch scheme and tactics, but I, but I, I want to take a pretty close closer look at this particular player. I do that on occasion, but I can't do that with eight guys. Yeah, I remember. Uh, do you remember Anthony Herrera for the Vikings? The offensive the guard? Yeah. 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 Yeah, so you're going to wonder why I'm bringing him up. When I first started going into your office, when it was Jaws in there and Matt Mill and Charlie Casterly, and I'm just a fly on the wall, you said a very similar thing. And I remember you said, and I've always, I mean, I think about this almost every week because I go through what we're talking about in my head. You, you said what you just said, and you said, if someone calls me up, I can't tell them how Anthony Herrera is playing this season. Right, right. That was your example. Just give me a general guard, and I'll tell you, I can't tell you how exactly he's playing, even though you've probably seen every snap of his. I know exactly what you're saying. Right. You, you watch film. You don't see everything when you watch film. You don't. No, and, and like you said, unless you're, you know, unless I said to you, hey, Andy, I want you to give me a complete report on the Eagles' offensive line, and you have two days to do it, you could do that. But that's all you'd be watching, you know. <laughs> yeah. yeah. yeah you know, that that was my first assignment when I worked for a team go through, watch every one of our players, rank them, give it to me. And uh, it took me three weeks to do that. Right, right. You know, I'm trying to get through, and I can't get through if it's a 16-game week. I can't watch all 16 games. I just can't, and I accept that. There's certain, you know, now sometimes I might just run through, like let's say it's a quarterback. Maybe I pull up the eight-plus completions just to see the good plays and how they get them, you know. But I can't watch 16 games, you know, both sides of the ball in their entirety. I just don't have enough time. Yeah, I know. It sucks. It sucks. It does. Right, the last, the last, the last game, Buffalo and and Cincinnati. We actually had a Josh Allen conversation, Josh Allen, Joe Burrow conversation a few weeks ago. Maybe yeah. we're going to repeat ourselves here, but I feel like it's an interesting one because you're basically taking. Tell me if you agree with the premise. You're taking a supremely talented quarterback whose game. I want to say his game's predicated on playmaking because I think Allen's become more than that, but that's his, that is his excellence is his right. playmaking. And then you take another one who's got good, not over the top, amazing talent, but good. You can throw it, you know, good, solid skills. And he plays the position exactly how a coach right. would want him to be played. And Joe Burrow, those are your two quarterbacks, which one guys like you and me probably lean towards 
Burrow just because of the way we've learned the game. But make make if you wanted to make the case, tell me maybe you don't, maybe you lean towards Allen anyway. But if you wanted to make the case for Josh Allen, if someone said who's the better quarterback here, what's the case for Josh Allen here in this matchup with Burrow? This the conversation with Burrow. They're not playing. I mean, are each you other. talking about just comparing the two players? Correct. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I would say this. Then it comes down to your philosophy of the position because they're different players. I, I think. Burrow plays the position in much more of a purest way. Drop back, timing, rhythm, um, easy thrower of the football, not a gun but can make every throw, really precise with his ball location, um, great feel for for zone coverage, where voids are, when to make throws. He plays the game with all the subtlety, nuance, um, detail that, you know, you you love to see from a quarterback. That to me is high level quarterback play. Allen to me is not that player at his core. Allen to me is a much more intuitive, instinctive player. Um, he's not quite as refined when it comes to you know throwing the ball with precise timing and anticipation. His ball location has improved dramatically since you know his first couple of years in the league and he's no longer a scattershot thrower you know he's he's a relatively accurate thrower um can i can i interrupt you real quick greg because I, yeah. I know you've studied so many quarterbacks over the years has there ever been another star quarterback or even just a quality starter where who has improved as a physical thrower of the ball the way Josh Allen has once they get into the NFL not that i can recall i'm sure maybe there's one you know <clears throat> Because to me, he's improved dramatically. Because his first couple of years in the league, Andy, as you remember, I mean, he would miss routine throws by 10 yards. I mean, yeah. you know, he couldn't hit a shallow cross. You know, I mean, it was it was bad. <clears throat> and now, you know, he doesn't really, you know, once a game he has to throw, you go, oh, he missed that one. But that's once a game, you know. For the most part, he's a pretty accurate thrower of the football. Um, yeah. But anyway, getting back to Allen, I think that, his game is built more on his reaction to the game as opposed to his proaction to the game. Does that make sense? Um, yeah. He leaves the pocket a lot prematurely and then makes great plays. Now, sometimes you leave the pocket prematurely and you don't make a great play, but he has that particular ability. Joe Burrow, I, I don't want to say never, you, you never, nothing's 100% in football, but Joe Burrow is, does not leave the pocket unless it's absolutely necessary. He will play yeah. within the rhythm and structure and timing of the offense and the pass game. So to me, they're two totally different players. Um, you know, if I had to pick and choose one just bit based maybe on my age and who I've spent a lot of time in my life being fortunate to, to be taught by, I'd probably say that Burroughs game that I, I enjoy the nuance more uh, where, but Allen's game is just more momentarily exciting. You know, I yeah. mean, I, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. I thought Joe Burrow and there, when these teams met in the playoffs last year, Cincinnati won that 27 to 10 in Buffalo, that snowy field game. I thought Burrow's game was as good as any quarterback's game that we've seen. All weather, too, yeah. Yeah. And it just, it didn't, there was nothing spectacular. Longest completion. I'm looking here, 28 yards. It was nothing spectacular. It was just quarterbacking, especially in the pre-snap phase, quarterbacking exactly the way you want oh. it done. And it was just masterful. Remember they had all those injuries on the offensive yeah. line too. Funny to hear you and, say that. 
Yeah. Because Burrow, did you watch him this week by chance or not get a chance yet? Not against the Niners. I haven't seen it yet. I will tomorrow. He was 28 for 32. Okay. Ridiculous numbers. Okay. He missed two in the first quarter, I think on the first drive and then completed something like 19 in a row or 20 in a row. But it was so efficient, Andy. I came away watching that tape. It, It didn't look like anything where you went, wow, is this guy just making throw after throw after? It just didn't look like that. But everything was just smooth efficient it looked easy but it wasn't like a wow in this you know like a like although i will say this i have no idea you know we know josh allen now has has a little bit of a shoulder issue i know he didn't practice on wednesday but he's going to play for sure you know it's not bad he just they're resting it but when they played did you watch the game last thursday night on tape against the bucks yes now so you probably noticed that in, in so many ways, their pass game looked totally different. First of all, they went a, a ton of no huddle, which is a, was a really good idea against a defense that likes to show a lot of looks and likes to blitz a lot. So they shrunk the menu of the defense because you can't do all that stuff versus no huddle. So they got more predictable and defined defensive looks. But Allen in that game and the whole nature of the pass game was much more rhythmic and in structure. And in fact, he had the lowest uh, snap to throw time of his career by an incredibly wide margin because of the way in which they played. And I thought the tape showed that. Now we'll see if that's something they feel like they want to continue to do. I wrote my last note that I wrote from that is Josh Allen had as good a game as he's had in his NFL career, made plays with his legs, worked on schedule, went off schedule when needed, handled the game really well intellectually, and including yeah. the pre-snap phase. I, that Tampa Bay game. I couldn't agree more. Yeah, and so we'll see if they want to stay with the no huddle because obviously Lou Anaramo, you know, he does a lot of stuff. Um, so we'll see if they want to, you know, continue with that approach. Um, but, yeah. yeah, he played – you know, he's always going to make a few of those plays because he's capable of making them. But he played within the structure. You nailed it. I mean, I can't remember every single game, obviously, but it, he, he, it was very rhythmic for him. He normally yeah. doesn't look like that. Yeah. The other thing I noticed in that game, they put Diggs at the Z position a lot on the side of the tight end, which is kind of his main position, but not always his right. position. You know, that's just an aside, but uh, it looked like a re- it's just the best that Buffalo's offense has looked, I think, in a really long time. And it's been a good looking offense in the past before. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and it's funny you mentioned that because their explosive plays are way, way down this year. And then you have to find ways then to compensate. So you need to play, you need to sustain. And, you know, yeah. and Allen has, has done a much better job of it. He, he did it at the highest level in this last game. You'd have to assume they're going to, you know, try to build on that approach. Do you, do you know who's been the most productive play-action offense in the NFL the last two seasons? Maybe three seasons it is now? Detroit? These Buffalo Bills that we're talking about. Really? Yeah, which blows my mind every time. Different style of play-action, of course. <clears throat> Different style of play I, I, Although they've put Allen under center this year a lot more, Andy. Their play action in the past couple of years has been shotgun. This year he's been under center far more. Yeah, I think that's a good point. Do you think you got to separate? I had to look up under center play. I I separate that because I think the impact on the defense is different. That's that's my opinion from watching tape. I think the impact on the defense is different. Yeah, that's a great. I'm going to start separating that every time now. Uh, all right, Greg, that's good. We'll tell people to uh, go ahead and hit that subscribe button. Appreciate you listening for my friend Greg Cosell at NFL Films. 
Andy Benoit of the 33rd team. This is Behind the Screen Podcast. We'll see you next week. 